There's a passage of scripture that I'm going to read for you from 2 Corinthians. It's the very end of the book, and I think it'll be shown up here, if not. Uh, And it's from the ESV, so if you have your text with you today, you can take it out. If you don't, then you can just watch it on the screen. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13. You might notice a slight difference depending on what version you are reading from that some versions won't have a verse 14. It'll be just 11 through 13. And, and it's, it's all the same text. It's just that it's divided up, versified a little bit differently. I know that a lot of you don't know me. My name is Sam. I work at the seminary. I have three children, one of each. A, I have a boy and a girl and a beagle. And uh, the beagle was adopted. Uh, his name is Tom. That was his given name. We kept it to honor his birth parents. And in addition to Tom, we have two grand beagles that my daughter got a beagle and then when she got married and moved out she thought it would be better if he stayed with us my son got a beagle from the pound and then he moved into an apartment that does not allow dogs so we're you know we're taking care of him for a while that the, my son's beagle's name is is Snoopy and my daughter's beagle's name is Mozart. Snoopy is, I think the phrase is a little off. He, he was about seven when he came from the pound and so sometimes he's really happy and when he's happy he stands up on his back legs, he lifts his hands up in the air, he's like the world's only praise and worship dog right there in our own house, but he's not always happy. In fact, sometimes he's not happy. And during those times, he's bitten me like three or four times. And when he bites me, you see this transformation in his face. It goes from wolf-like to, I can't believe I did that. You know that he's saying in his mind, I don't know what happened to me. I can't believe I did that. It's like Romans 7 going on in a little dog head right there. And Snoopy's had his problems. He had an ear infection, which you might know. For a beagle, that's really bad because their eagle, their ears are like, you know, huge. And, and he d- didn't want to take his medicine, and he's had all kinds of problems. So we thought we'd cheer him up. We'd give him a birthday party since we didn't know when his birthday was. We just made one up. And I thought it would be a great idea not just to give him, uh, not just to give him presents, but I thought since we have you know, other beagles there and other dogs coming over for the party. I'd give them all a taco from Taco Viva. And a fight broke out over the tacos. Snoopy wouldn't let any of the other dogs look at his toys. And it just, finally we had to put Snoopy away because he was just, it was too much for him. I tell you all that to let you know that I have three beagles living at home. And about 
uh, well, was last week, my wife uh, had to go on a business trip, and she took my daughter Charity with her, and she took uh, my granddaughter Ella with her, and she took the Golden Retriever that also lives at our house with her. So I was left at home with just the three beagles, just, just all the boys were at home. And you might remember that <clears throat> it rained like crazy all during that time. And so I was trying to get the beagles to go outside, and they would look at me like, have you seen it out there? We're not, we're not going. So I would go out there with their treats, standing in the rain, trying to get them to come out, and they would run out, grab the treat, run back in the house, laughing at me. I could tell by their mouth they were laughing at me. And the reason I tell you this is that at one point, I got this text from Cindy, and she said, I'll be home tomorrow, try to clean up. Yeah. I showed it to the Beagles, and they just tilted their head and looked at me like, this is none of us. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we're dogs. We don't really clean up. We're not chimps. We can't pick your books up and put them back. <clears throat> the only thing we can pick books up with is our mouth, and you know where our mouths have been, so you don't want us picking your, your, your books up. So I did all that I could to try to clean it up, but it, it was unfortunately not what it should have been. The interesting thing is that here at the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying the same thing to the Corinthian church that Cindy said to me in the text. He's saying to them, get yourself together before I get there or it's not going to be pleasant. He's saying, get everything straightened out before I get there or you're not going to be happy with what I have to say to you. In the 10th verse of the, that ch the last chapter that we just read, Paul says to us, for these things I write, the, for I, the reason I write these things while I'm away is so that when I come, I will not have to be severe in my use of the authority. He's saying, don't make me come back there, like your father used to say when you were on vacation. Don't make me come back there. We knew he couldn't because he was driving, but he would say that anyway. That's exactly what Paul is saying. I'm going to come there, and you'll be far better off if you straighten things out now. And so I want us to look at this passage of Scripture quickly and see what it is that Paul wants them to understand. There are two big headings that we'll look at, Paul's admonition and Paul's benediction. And Paul's admonition will be in verse 11. The interesting thing here is that Paul has in this verse 11 five different imperatives. Imperatives are generally the commands. And so Paul has for the Corinthian people and for us five different commands. And we'll look at them carefully together. The first one that you see, the first admonition is rejoice. And you can see it there. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Paul is telling the Corinthian people all of them, that they need to live in a joyful way. Joy is not the same thing as, as happiness. I mean, there are times when we are unhappy. There were times when Paul was unhappy. In the first chapter of this Second Corinthians, he tells about a time in his life when he was so sick that he, he wanted to die. He was apparently in terrible sickness. And Paul tells us that we ought to rejoice, not necessarily be happy, but live our lives knowing that all these things that happen to us happen to us for a reason. 
This is the same Paul that wrote in Romans, wrote to the Romans, all things work together for good to them who love God. Paul wants us all, every one of us today, to live lives of joy, to live lives of knowing that God is in control and that history is going somewhere and that no matter what the talking heads say on TV, God is the one who is ultimately in control. No matter what the evil one brings into our mind, we can remember that God has the evil one on a leash, that he is God's devil, and so we can rejoice. But there's a second imperative that, God, that Paul has for us, and that is, he says, not only rejoice, but he says, aim for restoration. So the first imperative is rejoice, the second is restore. That is, Paul is saying, I know that there are some broken relationships among the people of the church in Corinth. And I want you to restore those relationships. I want you to go and talk to those people with whom you have a broken relationship, and I want you to mend them. This word for restore is, is also used of mending fishing nets. And so Paul is saying to all of those people in Corinth, I know you've got some problems with, with your brothers and sisters in the church. I know you have some people that you're not entirely glad to be sitting beside in worship. Take care of that. Restore those issues. Restore those relationships that you have and get along like people who love God. Of course, this was only in Corinth. There probably aren't any, any hurt feelings or any mad people in other churches. But Paul said to this church, listen, I know some of you don't like each other, but you've got to restore those relationships. Then he has a third thing that he says to us. Not only does he say rejoice and restore, but he also says comfort one another. I'm not certain that that's exactly the way. There, there's some issues, some grammatical issues in the translation of this particular word. Each of these imperatives are only one word. And in this in this one, there's some issues about how it should be translated. And so, I don't want to bore you with grammatical things, bore you any more than I already have. I, I, but I want you to realize there's a little issue there. And so I went to uh, one of my favorite teachers ever in my life. His name is Murray Harris. He has a commentary on 2 Corinthians. And he knows Greek better than anyone whom I've ever run across ever in my life. And Murray Harris says, rather than translating that, encourage one another, it rather ought to be translated, be encouraged. And this is a word, Dr. Harris says, that is used to indicate that you ought to remember what I said, that you ought to heed my appeal. So we have rejoice, we have restore, and now we have remember. Paul is saying to them, remember what I have told you here in this letter. All of us have this letter in our Bibles today, and we go down to the store and we can buy a Bible with all these letters in it for a few bucks. But realize that when this letter was sent, it probably cost Paul, in today's money, thousands of dollars. He had to have the paper made. He couldn't go to Staples. He had to have the ink made. He had to either write all this out or more likely have a professional write this out for him, roll it up into a scroll, and then send it to the church. And he's saying to them, I've taken a lot of time here to write this to you. 
This is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to heed that. I want you to remember the things that I have told you. And he tells him a variety of things. If at some point you read through the book of 2 Corinthians, you'll realize that Paul can be very sharp at times in his criticism. He tells them that they need to forgive a brother whom they had put out of the church in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, he has suffered enough. The punishment has been enough. Let him back into the church. He tells them to stop bickering with one another. He tells them a variety of things in this letter, and he wants them to remember them, and he wants us to remember them. And so we have rejoice and restore and remember. And then the fourth thing that Paul says in this verse is that we ought to agree with one another. Essentially what he's saying here is reconcile or re reconsider. He says essentially that you, you ought to agree with those people that are around you. It's interesting that one of the reasons that we often get mad at some other person or get into a situation where we don't agree with them, often it's because we didn't really listen to them. How many arguments, I wonder, could be solved by simply listening to another person, listening carefully to what they had to say, and trying to understand what it was from their viewpoint? There's a, a wonderful book that's in your worship, that's listed in your worship folder on this green part here, and the book is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Life Together, wonderful book. Bonhoeffer, you might remember, was a German theologian. He came to the United States. He studied at Union University. He loved the African-American church and joined a church in Harlem and loved uh, the, the African-American singing. When he went back to Germany, he had a huge record collection. And so when Hitler began to start to take over, Bonhoeffer felt called back to Germany to try to put a stop to some of what was going on. And so he went back and, and the, started a seminary, started teaching people about uh, opposing Hitler. And the Gestapo closed the seminary down. And so Bonhoeffer grew a seminary in his, essentially in his house. And this book, Life Together, is about the sort of lessons that they learned and how they were able to live in fellowship with one another during that time when the government was trying to stamp out all that he was doing. You might remember that Bonhoeffer eventually was arrested by the Gestapo for being part of a plot to kill Hitler. And on April the 9th, 1945, he was hanged by the Germans just shortly before the war ended. But there are a lot of wonderful things that Bonhoeffer has to say in this life together. And one of them is about the spiritual nature of listening, that one of the greatest things we as Christians can do for one another is to listen carefully to one another. That's a hard thing sometimes. Often we wanna just talk, but Bonhoeffer says, listen. And that, I think, is what Paul is trying to get to us here. He's trying to, to reconcile with one another. He's trying to tell us that we should agree with one another, that we should absolutely live together. So he tells us, reconsider what those, those arguments are that you have. And today, if you have an argument with somebody, take a little bit of time 
and reconsider what it was that caused that argument and perhaps listen to them. And maybe you and I and all of us can live in a way that would be a a wonderful testimony to those that are outside. They could see the church and what it's really all about. So Paul says rejoice and restore and remember and reconsider. And then finally, he tells us to reconcile. He says live in peace. It's a lot easier said than done, living in peace. And yet, God is the God of peace. There's a a wonderful story of two theologians who were here in the United States. Whitfield uh, was a, a famous Calvinist theologian, and John Wesley, who was a famous Wesleyan theologian, only there weren't Wes, the name Wesley comes from him. And so they had real serious disagreements theologically. And they would at times sort of argue with one another very seriously. And so one day someone went up to Whitfield and they said, Reverend Whitfield, do you think that you'll see John Wesley in heaven? And he said, no. He said, I think that John Wesley will be so much closer to the Lord than I am that I will not even be able to see him. And you see from that the ability that they had to reconcile with one another. The ability that they had that even though they disagreed with one another, they were a part of the church and they could in absolute terms listen to one another and not be angry. I was about this time last year, uh, I was in the back seat of a car driving down the highway in Greece, and uh, we were driving from Athens out onto the peninsula to look at some ancient uh, New Testament manuscripts. And I remember seeing the sign, uh, Corinth, exit here. And we weren't able to exit. We had appointments that we had to get to. But it was amazing to, to me to be that close to this city of Corinth. And it's hard for us today to sort of recognize the kind of city that Corinth really was. Corinth was world-renowned for being a wicked city. In fact, ancient playwrights, ancient Greek playwrights, if if they had a drunk man and they didn't want to name him, they would just call him a Corinthian man, and everybody would know he's good for nothing. And if there were a girl who had what they call negotiable affections, then they would call her a Corinthian woman. And everyone would know that she's a Corinthian woman of loose morals. And yet in all that, in that den of wickedness, Paul comes in and he starts a church and he says to them, you need to live like you are different. And he tells them, This is the result. After you've rejoiced and restored and remembered and reconsidered and reconciled, these are the results, he says, at the end of that verse 11. And you see it there. The God of love and the peace will be with you. The God of love and peace. This is the only place in the New Testament where that phrase, God of love, occurs. It's an amazing thing that Paul says, act like you ought to act and you will feel the God of love and grace with you. Be the kind of people that you ought to be, and you will feel the God of love and grace with you. The outside world, even the rest of the city of Corinth, they will see that something is different about you. 
And then right in, in the verse 12, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The reason for that was you showed by that act that there were no arguments between you, that you had learned to live at peace and with love to one another. I did a little study of this uh, holy kiss this week. There's some interesting things. Some, uh, some people say, well, it was only the men kissed the men and the women kissed the women, but that's not really the case, at least early on, because I found a couple of church fathers who said, don't be kissing people more than once. That's my translation. That's they were saying, don't keep kissing people after you've given them one holy kiss. That was probably the teenagers at Corinth that were in the back claiming they were giving one another a holy kiss. And there's another really obscure church father that I found who said, if you have any erotic thoughts while you were giving someone a holy kiss and you are damned to hell. I wouldn't go that far, but it's clear that that was an issue that they had to deal with. But the reason that Paul tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss is so that everyone around them will see that this is not a group of people who have little clicks here and little clicks there, but this is a group of people who all love each other, who all really, really fellowship together in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the New Testament tells us they'll know us by our love. Not they'll know us by our bumper stickers. Not they'll know us by the t-shirts that we wear. Not that they'll know us by the things that we hold up signs against. They'll know us by our love. And Paul is admonishing the Corinthian people at this point to be a people of love, and the God of love and grace will be with them. That's the admonition. And now, the second thing that Paul does here in this passage is the benediction. You'll notice in verse 13 or 14, depending on, how, depending on what translation you're using, that Paul ends the book of 2 Corinthians with what we call a benediction. A benediction comes from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and it is essentially a time when oil was poured onto a person, and the pouring of oil on them was accompanied by words of blessing. And so that person at the benediction felt the words of blessing and felt the oil pouring down on them, and it was a, a wonderful experience. And so we, in, in the Christian church, we have the benediction in which the minister places onto the congregation a wonderful blessing. Paul is saying goodbye to the Corinthians, knowing that it will be a while before he gets there. And so he gives them this wonderful blessing. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You'll notice that this is a, a Trinitarian a Trinitarian statement that Paul doesn't use the word Trinity. The word Trinity doesn't occur in the New Testament, but it's clear that he places all of these on the same level, that Christ is God. And so he, he reminds them of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in spite of the fact that they live in a city of wickedness, in spite of the fact that undoubtedly some of those church members had at one time or another been wicked. 
And that's the reason that Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he lists this, this list of sins. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. He is telling them that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is able to overcome whatever they might have done wrong. Then he takes us from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to the love of God. That is that God's love fills the church. And since God is such a wonderful person of love, we ought to be able to share our love with other people. Given the fact that God has loved us, we ought to be able to love others. And then he says the fellowship of the Spirit. Again, reminding us that the the Spirit is not some force like radar, that He is a person just like the Father and just like the Son, and that all three of them are God, that they are three personalities, one God. That's the way that the Trinity is generally stated. And all of us ought to remember that our church and our lives and everything that we do, it ought to be reminded, it ought to be, be generated by the fact that we worship a gracious God and loving God and a fellowshipping God. All of us today have problems. We dress ourselves up and come to church and act like we have it all together. And we wear these masks that sort of we don't want anyone else to know that we really do have serious problems, but we all do. And yet we come here today to the church of God. We come here today because it is a place of love and fellowship. It is a place where no matter what you have been in the past, you can now be a Christian. Sometimes, particularly last weekend, after Snoopy bit me or after Snoopy got in a fight on his birthday party or after he got up in the bed and wouldn't let my wife get in, I felt like I ought to just take him to the pound. I mean, it's just too much trouble. But I really can't. Because you see, behind the mask, sometimes I bite. Sometimes I don't want to be around people. Sometimes I'm not what I should be. And yet, God loves me anyway. The amazing thing is that God welcomes all of us into the church, and He never sends us back to the pound. He never says, you're not good enough. He never says, I don't want you because you bite, or I don't want you because you won't go outside. He never says, I don't want you. He says, I love you and I, I desperately want to be in a relationship with you. And the resurrected Christ extends His forgiveness through His blood to every one of us. There were some really whacked out people in Corinth. You read through the two books of Corinthians and you realize there were some serious, serious problems going on there. And yet it's amazing that Paul closes this book of 2 Corinthians with this wonderful benediction. This Trinitarian blessing was for the whole church of Corinth, the good 
the bad and the ugly. It was their great hope. And today, it's ours. No matter what we might have been, no matter how we might have acted, no matter who we might have bitten, God extends to us the grace, and He asks us to extend that grace to those that are around us. And I hope that you will.